Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, as always, Austin Krell, along with my co-host, my, my pal Brock Landis. Brock, how how is how is how's school today? School is school, man. Uh, Zoom University, as I've said, week in and week out. So today was just a lot of sitting in my room and, and doing online assignments. But nonetheless, uh, we keep moving. We keep moving forward. That's right. That's right. So, so we do have a little bit of Sixers stuff to discuss today. Do you subscribe to the Athletic? I don't know. They they can't get any of my money. <laughs> I do subscribe, and I'm a, I, I like the Athletic. I think they do a really good job. Um, and so Shams Charania drops his his weekly inside pass today, and basically what he says is the Sixers are going to bring in um, Mike D'Antoni, Billy Donovan, Ty Lue for their short list of head coaching candidates to interview and go through that whole process. And then there, and then he's like, um, you know, Philly remains intent on building and adding talent under brand to further strengthen the front office, which just basically means to me, uh, you know, baseball, uh, basketball, old heads, you know, people who, who, who are lifers, they know the game, um, which, I, which is better than what they have going on right now. Um, it says Brandon is well respected by his peers across the NBA, agents, and basketball mm-hmm. industry executives. To me, that can mean two things. That can mean one. Okay. That can mean like, okay, he's actually kind of good at his job, and we just haven't really okay. seen it. Two, it can also mean people love him because he's easy to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is which, which is two different ways to interpret it that I think you could you, you could you could see. Um, in addition to leading the head coaching search, Brand is having conversations with multiple NBA front office personnel to bolster his staff. For the 76ers, Brand continues to be the leader of basketball operations, which basically means to me that there's that that you know they're they're trying to integrate and move away from Rucker and Cohen and somewhere there's Scott O'Neill in that mix. I don't know where he exactly is in all of this, but he is there. Um, he's still employed by the team. Um, and it, it just sort of sounds like this is Elton Brand's show now, for better or for worse. And I think people like are like they get like disgusted by that. And I, I there's no reason not to. I mean, I can't justify it against it, but I would say that I, I don't think that um we can really be fair and just in just saying that Elton Brand isn't qualified for the job because I think he I don't think we have any idea what decisions were actually his versus analytics nerds in the front office. 
Um, that's just where I sit on that whole on that whole thing. Okay, so where I am is well. First off, where is Shams? Is is he is he permanently with the Athletic? Is that is that his gig permanently? Has he always been with the Athletic? I know he's a free agent. I don't know. If he said he was joining the Painted Lines. I don't. I can't confirm or deny that. <laughs> no, I think he's with the Athletic, considering he wrote this piece today. So okay, all right. I guess he's. Resigned. I guess they resigned him to a lucrative yeah. deal. So anyway, uh, the respect thing has been important for me uh, in evaluating Elton Brand for a little while. Uh, I think endorsements are a big deal in terms of management and coaching. So the, the fact that he's getting publicly endorsed is a good thing. Um, but here's where the lines get a little blurred, right? September 19th, uh, 2020, apparently Philadelphia is considering a front office shakeup that would include the addition of a president of basketball operations. Of course. So now that's probably answered in that Elton Brand is going to oversee all basketball operations. Although Philadelphia was interested in, in I, I know, Maury, they went for Kevin Pritchard in, in Indiana, uh, Trailblazers executive. They, they were looking all over. Um, but it seems like Elton Brand is going to possess control of basketball decisions as both uh, the president and, and maybe even the GM. The thing is, I think that a coach – is the most important position Philadelphia can add in this offseason. Now, of course, the roster's clunky, and that's going to get situated. But a coach is extremely important. And I say that because you've been running essentially the same thing for seven previous seasons. So this is the first time where there's a clean slate for Joel Embiid, a clean slate for Ben Simmons. Maybe Al Horford doesn't get traded and he gets utilized differently. A head coach has to come in. Yeah, that's my reaction <laughs> too. But anyway, a head coach has to come in and not turn this team around because this isn't a rebuild, but they need to kick kickstart them in the right direction. Now, who has who is that, may ask? You got Mike D'Antoni, you got Tyron Lue, you got Billy Donovan, a multitude of, of well-qualified candidates. But Austin, to no surprise, I've bought in on Mike D'Antoni. I've convinced myself that Mike D'Antoni is the hire here, and I know you retweeted my little, uh, my little Mike. Yeah, because I wanted to show some support for my guy. Retweet, retweets do not mean endorsements; they do not equal endorsements. Yeah, Never yeah. Have. Well, yeah, well, then you gave me false hope because I thought you were buying in on him. No, 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 no. So here's where my head was at with Mike D'Antoni, right? He was a head coach of a couple of teams, a couple of those teams that didn't work well with the Lakers, namely where uh, Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol uh, didn't love the small ball that he utilized. And uh, the Knicks for two seasons were good, but for the remainder of his tenure, uh, not so good. In Phoenix, however, they had sole possession of the best offensive rating in basketball from 2004 to 2009. And those were the prime years of D'Antoni as a head coach there. Their offensive rating was second place in that span just one time by 0.01. Uh, true shooting percentage, first place from 2004 to 2009. Stephen Nash wins two MVP awards. And mind you, Stoudemire and Sean Marion took the highest frequency of shots. When Steve Nash won MVP, I mean, Amari Stoudemire led the team one year in field goals attempted. Sean Marion led the team in field goals attempted two years when, when Stephen Nash won MVP. So he coached Team USA. He's a former San Antonio scout, a TNT broadcast analysis. I mean, he's coached a multitude of all-stars as well. So people have bought in on Ty Lue as this kind of ego manager. He's been able to coach LeBron and 
Kyrie Irving and handle these multiple personalities. If anybody's done that, it's Mike D'Antoni. James Harden, one of the most scrutinized offensive players in the game. Sean Marion, uh, Carmelo Anthony, Amari Stoudemire. I can go on and on. So I've bought in on Mike D'Antoni because what happened in Phoenix also happened in Houston. Among the league leaders in offensive rating, true shooting for his tenure there. So I've bought in on Mike D'Antoni. But Austin, you may disagree a little bit as you take your sip of there. Uh, what, what, what are we drinking there? You're, drinking ma- you're making me. You're making me drink. <laughs> um, for Mike D'Antoni, I would give a resounding no. I don't see. I don't. I don't see how you can make that fit um, because, I mean, the, the seven second or less offense is great. It also means that Joel basically doesn't even touch the ball because you can't get up the court in seven seconds and have an effective possession. You also don't want them taking 63s per game. Um, I don't see how that works um, from, you know, like from, from, uh, from the perspective of like the, the current pieces on the roster. So maybe you're going out and you're getting shooters, but I think it also edges you closer to an inevitable Joel Embiid trade. Problem is his trade market isn't real. It's all theoretical trade market. No one wants to trade. I don't want to say no one's trade for him, but I am pretty confident that league executives are terrified of giving up real value for him because of his. You don't. You you never know as bad as availability. So I think if anyone's going to go, it's going to be Ben. Um, and then and then in, in that case, like you know, you're you're going to have to get good value in return. Maybe that's like Bradley Beal. But even then, as you said, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you 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 don't you need to have a, a big man who is a little more mobile and isn't trailing always. And Embiid, I just don't think he's going to be satisfied within the D'Antoni offense unless he radically changes his his system, which I don't know why he would. Um, Kenneth Smid Semity says, "What's up? Uh, thanks for tuning in, Kenneth. We really appreciate it." He says, "What do you think of the coach from Thunder to go to the 76ers? Billy Donovan? I I think it's because he's this like." mid fifties white guy who looks good um, in like, um, you know, like, like, like he looks like he's like a stereotypical basketball coach. And I, I, I think the turn, no, Oklahoma city's turnovers were better uh, when they got a secondary ball handler in, um, in Paul George, but I, there's nothing he like, I think that the product looked better than the number said it was. And um, you know, I, I, I think, like, sure, you can like get the whole relationship of, of Al Horford and, and 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 whatnot, but are we building this around Al Horford or around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I I think that that to me, it, he says, I will go coach the Thunder. <laughs> Take it one for the team. We appreciate it. Um, here's how I think it's going to go down. This is and this is the, I, I would put a lot of money on this. They're gonna next two weeks. They're gonna like you know we're they're gonna say oh we went through a whole interview process. We really did our due diligence, and then they're going to announce a decision that they've made months ago, which was hiring Teron Liu as the next head coach of the franchise. Um, and you know it, it's something it's it's a very Sixers thing to do. I think they're gonna do it. Um, I think the decision has been made for a while um, that it, that it was Ty Liu. That but that's that's just me though. And honestly, I I. I don't know that he's not the best candidate for the job. Uh, I know people like want to, and we've had this a million times on the show, but I know people want to say like, Oh, he's a LeBron guy. He sat back and watched LeBron. Not really. It's not, that's not how that works. Um, you know, they, they, they were the, you know, depending on what numbers that you use to look at it, 
they're actually they were actually a pretty good team under 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 Lou, and he has a lot of respect around the league. And I think you need to have former. I think we need to to, to get away from this old white guy run league and more into like this, you know, management and staff that understands the modern game can relate to the modern day player. And I, I don't think that's as much Mike D'Antoni or as much Billy Donovan as it is Ty Lue. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that's sort of where I am with the whole thing. Um, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, I think they're going to, I think Ty Lue has been the guy for a while. And um, like it, yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, while coaching change is, is, is significant and it's needed for this franchise, um, the changes, the real changes that are going to push this team from like topping out as a seven seed for, for the foreseeable future to like, okay, they're real. That, that change is going to come on the, on, with the on-court personnel, not the off-court personnel. A co- coach, coaching across all sports, I think in general, it makes a difference, but it, you, the, the on-court talent is what separates the men from the, from the boys. Um, and I think that's going to be the case here as well. So, I mean, Ty Lue, you know, I'm sure he's, a, he's an improvement, but ultimately it's going to be about the players in the court stepping up and owning up to their shortcomings and, and holding themselves accountable, which, I mean, what history do we have of that in knowing? Um, so, you know, that, 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 that's sort of where I stand with the entire thing. But we do have some more stuff to go into around the NBA. Um, so this Lakers and Nuggets series, I find extremely fascinating. Um, first of all, I think before the last time, last time we talked, this was before Game Seven actually took place. But the Nuggets, they they win Game Seven. I think they were trailing by like eight or ten at most in that game. They win Game Seven going away to cap off one of the most ridiculous and sort of unbelievable breakdowns and in, in, in we've seen in, in the in the NBA's recent history where the, where the, the, the Clippers are up 16 points in game five uh-huh. and 19 points in game six they come back both games to win they force game seven and they win game seven by 20 plus and I mean wow what a series that was um and so you have you have this this nuggets versus versus Lakers matchup and it's really interesting because I went back and I rewatched Game One. <clears throat> I took all, took a ton of notes on that, um, and so you know the Nuggets open up Game One and they're and they're switching on the pick and rolls with with, with LeBron as the ball handler. So anytime LeBron's handling the ball with pick and roll, they're switching. Um, and then the Lakers are even using off ball guards like Danny Green. Uh, to, 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 to screen for LeBron, which basically forces the switch. So that way guys like Gary Harris end up on LeBron. And that's sort of like what the Lakers are going for. Um, <clears throat> and then it, the, the, the first adjustment is that Denver goes from, goes from switching on those screens, like blitzing LeBron as the pick and roll passer and like basically betting on helpers to rotate uh, or Lakers to make, you know, to make perimeter shots. And it got, it got me to thinking like this Clippers team or this Lakers team, I should say, is like one to two, maybe three JJ Reddick clones away from like being basically an unbeatable team, because I, I don't trust any of their shooters really. I mean, do you trust any of their shooters? No, let me say no, and, and, <laughs> and especially not as as the playoffs have gotten deeper. They've they've gotten better in terms of catching and shooting each series, but uh, there's really nobody on that team that could spot up and shoot a three ball well anymore. Yeah. 
And I mean, KCP is like a decent shooter, but I mean, they they don't have like, a, like a, any legitimate snipers. Um, and so that's sort of like where, where I, where I fall into it. Like the Lakers are beatable if you play them right, because your defense has to, has to switch and rotate and basically be like on time every time and, and, and be very active and aware of what's going on in the court. Um, because like, as soon as you go down the middle of the lane, or as soon as you like, as soon as you open up that lane and, and, and to, to throw that double and, and blitz LeBron in the pick and roll, it opens up a spot for it, it, it opens up an offensive player for the Lakers. And then depending on who's coming to, to, to blitz, it's either someone can cut off ball or AD's coming down the middle. And by the way, AD, Dominique Brown is, I guess, kind of right. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, LeBron, I, LeBron gets all the credit for what AD is doing. AD's done a great job. Um, you know, he, he, he buries the big, the, the big time shot last night to win the game. By the way, that play was, was, was a shit show for the Nuggets. Um, kind of. Well, cause kind of. They're, 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 for whatever reason, my uh, Plumlee's in the game and he calls out for a bizarre switch because there was no reason to switch. There was not even a real screen there. LeBron yeah. wasn't screening. He was standing in the other direction. Uh, and so they call for a switch and, and, and. Jeremy Grant's looking at the ball, looking at the inbounder for which is Rondo, and leaves leaves AD wide open on the perimeter. And he yeah. buries a shot. So like it was a great shot, but it was like it kind of shouldn't have happened if the Nuggets like had had not like shit themselves on that play. I don't know. Be, I, I thought it was a lose lose defensively, and and okay. I thought the Lakers did a really good job because the gravity they put on that side of the floor, you, you can't match it. So you're right there. Plumlee comes into the game and. I think he should have been defending LeBron in that situation, although in game one something similar happened. Uh, on a three, he called for a switch, which ultimately led to a Lakers three, and, and they won that game one. But uh, the thing with Mason Plumlee was he's going to get out and, and defend Anthony Davis or Bron, and he's got the wingspan and, and the agility at the top of the perimeter to stay with a guy like that as opposed to a guard. And, I mean, Paul Millsap hasn't looked great this series. Michael Porter Jr. probably doesn't draw that assignment. Uh, but nonetheless – the thing that's important to note on that play, Austin, you're right, is that there's no screen set. Somebody <laughs> is calling for a switch over the screen, and there's no screen set. And if Grant switches over and, and he does close out and go up on that shot, then you leave LeBron James wide open. It's a slip. It's a slip to the basket. basket. Exactly. Yeah. So I think Plumlee's a little bit at fault, but defensively it was such a strange thing where, like, there's no screen set and you're reacting to a screen being set. And and Jokic did a good job closing out too, but Anthony Davis just made a phenomenal shot. And, and while yeah. we're on that, while we're on that subject, let me bring this up and then I'll let you continue. But I thought this was interesting in predict uh, an account on Twitter tweeted out this graph and it was shot success and usage in clutch squared situations since 1996, a minimum of 100 clutch squared attempts. So Essentially, all this graph does is chart how effective a player is shooting the basketball with effective field goal percentage and how often they're used in these clutch situations. So right around 40% effective field goal percentage, which means the player hits around 40% of the shots in the clutch, and right around 50% usage is like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, LeBron, Damian Lillard. Yep. But way above them, like way above 50%, almost 60-70%, but with much less usage in that situation, is Anthony Davis. So 
he has the highest effective field goal percentage of all of these players in the clutch, Kyle Lowry, LeBron, Kobe, et cetera, except he's used in these situations way less. Now, you could say it's because of the size or his position, but I think that's an advantage. And the fact that a guy, his height, his size, and his build can take that shot and make it is so freaky. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think like one thing that kind of threw the nuggets off, which was number one, like Anthony Davis didn't come around that screen very tight. It wasn't like a sharp curl around. Mm-hmm. He left a lot of space between LeBron's body and 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 himself, which is why it made absolutely no sense that Plumlee was going under that because there was really no screen yeah, set. There was it a was, lot of space between him and Plumlee. Too. He could have he could have he he could have stayed right up on 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 AD's hip. Yeah, it was. Um, right. Yeah, it was it was like a it was like a brain fart. Like mm-hmm. I, I I don't I don't know what he was doing. And then another thing I think that kind of might have thrown off the Nuggets was like here's this bouldering, like six ten six eleven guy who's like a post player, kind of like a face up guy. But he's a big curling into this open shot like a shooter, and you're not really used to seeing that in the NBA. Like yeah. bigs curl like that into like into like a catch and shoot, um, unless they're like Kevin Love, which I guess kind of, but Anthony Davis certainly not. So I thought that was kind of like a weird kind of interpretation or read of what happened there. Um, Kenneth Semedy says Denver versus Heat in the finals. I'm kind of buying it. I'm kind of buying it, um, and you know what? Wait, no, wait, sorry. No, 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 no. I'm not buying Denver. I'm buying the Heat in the finals. I'm buying I, I the buying the Heat. Yeah, yeah. I buy the Heat uh-huh. in the finals. And I buy the Lakers and I don't buy the Nuggets. I don't think the Nuggets have a chance in the series. I thought I thought I saw and needed to see last night uh, to know that they don't have a chance in the series. Um but like the Heat and the Lakers, I think, is very real. And honestly, I think the Heat can win that series. Damn. I think they can. I don't know that they will, but I think they can. Um, and so that would be something. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, Antonio Zuber, my roommate, actually says I bought Denver. Uh, so I, I, he he thinks Denver is this unbelievable team. I'm like, no, they're they're really not. The um, is, the thing that's crazy about this series, though, is that. While the Lakers are really good at a lot of things, they're beating Denver at Denver's own game. Yeah. So, like, as yeah, this yeah, they series, are. As this series has progressed, more things have been emphasized, and it's been DHO for Denver. Yeah. They've really emphasized this DHO and getting guys like Jamal Murray or, or Nikola Jokic on the mismatch because with a switch, every time Jokic takes him to the poster, Murray's going to shoot or drive. But the problem is Denver's not generating enough space to drive or kick and shoot. And because they're doing a ton of these DHOs, it's just hurting the duo of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. The duo that once lit up the NBA, which wasn't too long ago, uh, it's they're becoming ineffective because of how many DHOs they're running. The switching makes them effective, like it's I said. Too, it's, it's too vanilla. It's it, the, you exactly. have to diversify it. Yeah. If you've got guys face guarding you, clogging up that area, it, it's counterproductive. And not to mention you're playing against a guy like LeBron James who's smart enough to switch on a down screen. So if you've got two defenders defending Jokic and Murray at the top of the key and LeBron on the wing, he's smart enough to pick up what's happening. Jamal Murray is coming off a down screen, coming right up to the top. I'm just yeah. going to switch over. Then the guy down low or somebody playing at the top of the key will take mine on the wing because Jamal's the shot you want to stop. So 
Denver struggling there. But what I thought was interesting was like Denver had the most assist points created in this entire playoffs in the bubble, right? The Lakers have more assist points in this series. Denver posted up more than any team in the playoffs. Well, the Lakers have more points from the post and less turnovers than Denver and almost the same amount. So the Lakers are are essentially beating Denver at their own game here. And I I just think LeBron James and Anthony Davis are too much. I mean, they're both top eight in scoring and both top five in field goal percentage in the playoffs. So uh, you're going to need a miracle to combat that. There are a couple of things to me that I think are pretty alarming. Um, Well, first, I find this alarming and kind of funny at the same time that I titled the podcast about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Denver is letting Jeremy Grant like fight through the screens for when LeBron's a ball handler and he's the, basically the primary assignment. He draws him every time. And that's fine. He might be their best option. But the bad news is that he might be their best option uh-huh. because when LeBron wants to, he's just like putting a shoulder down and he just fighting through him. And I mean, any contact he's absorbing, he's getting right to the spot where he wants to and basically having his way. And it kind of looks like part of the time he's not even trying yet. He's just like, okay, you want to give me this? This is the matchup you want. This scrawny guy, like six, seven, six, eight, really just athletic. Watch this. And he bears right through him. I mean, they did it with Covington against in the Houston series. He knocked Robert Covington over like a, like, like a goddamn bowling pin. Like, no chance. And I think Jeremy Grant's a little more stable on his feet. So sure. I kind of I kind of think that he has a better chance. But when LeBron makes his mind up and he wants to do it, he's going to get right around him. And there's nothing they can do about it. And they're going to have to – I think you're, I, I think Denver's first adjustment in game one was actually a good one um, with the with, – with, with, with with the blitzing LeBron as a pick and roll passer and ball handler and basically betting on because Denver's defense is kind of good like even though yeah. they they they're actually a pretty good defense and you know basically relying on your helpers to rotate um, but I think another issue is like Denver's sloppiness in game one was a huge concern a lot of live ball turnovers a lot of um, you know like a lot of like just bad transition defense off off of rebounds and on missed shots by the Lakers and. When you put a guy like Plumley in there, and I was watching this last night, I'm not I'm not quite sure what he brings in terms of like outside of just being like a a, good, a decent diver to the basket. He he's kind of an okay passer, but he doesn't screen hard. He doesn't set like legitimate screens. He doesn't give you anything outside of the five foot area and the paint. He's just basically clogging the lane and making it harder for you to drive in. And when they, and when the Lakers get their hands in the middle and they're disrupting and they're getting out, you're cooked anyway. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's an adjustment Denver has to make. And they kind of they, – they, they were a little better with live ball turnovers like last night, but the transition defense was still sloppy, and the Lakers were still getting out and running. Um, and another, another major issue that I, that I see is like the Lakers are killing the minutes that LeBron's sitting. So Denver is not taking advantage of it when LeBron rests. rests. Like through game one, I think Lakers were still a plus one when LeBron sat and I think through game two, they were something like plus double digits. I, I forgot the exact number, but you have to, n- n- the Nuggets are going to win the series. They got to not only win the minutes that LeBron sits, but you, they have to win them like handily. You have to win them like plus 10 plus 15 and force the Lakers to cut the number of minutes that LeBron sits. Yeah. I don't think LeBron is, I mean, I, 
In watching this series, it looks like LeBron is starting to fatigue a little easier as games progress. And I think it's it's easier said than done to capitalize on those minutes when LeBron's not on the floor because the person that is benefiting from LeBron not being on the floor is Anthony Davis. And Denver can't seem to stop Anthony Davis. I mean, I believe close to 30 points per game, over 55% shooting from the field, and he just generates any look he wants. Whereas for Denver – if, if the offense isn't running through one or two specific players, the rest is stagnant. And, and it's similar with, with the Lakers as well. But the thing that's helped the Lakers is that they shot 35% on catch and shoots in the first series and then 41 in the second and then 40% now. So if you're relying on one guy, it's a lot different than relying on one guy that could kick to his teammate and his teammate's going to knock down the three. So we alluded to the three-point shooting earlier in the show. Uh, there really isn't anybody you'd trust shooting that three ball in the Lakers, but regardless, they're shooting over 40% there in the previous two series. So uh, those guys have been knocking down their shots. And I mean, Rajon Rondo playing in the playoffs is a legitimate thing. You got to respect him because he's, he's giving out dimes and, and kickstarting offense. So uh, LeBron and AD are getting help elsewhere. Whereas Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic uh, outside of them, them two, there's just this great lack of production. Uh, Paul Millsap has has been a conundrum, and they're still paying him over thirty three million dollars. Uh, like you said, Plumlee is is very crippled offensively, I should say, and 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 guys like Gary Harris and Monty Morris, uh, Grant, between either getting in foul trouble or not hitting their shots or, or not contributing much offensively, yeah, uh, it's just tough to keep up with this Lakers team. Austin, you said the Lakers are killing them in transition, just getting out and running and forcing turnovers and running. And, and it probably helps having two of the top five best players in transition in the entire league on your roster. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, real quick, um, take a quick break and get a message from our sponsors. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgun time at parties? I know Myers Leonard does. <laughs> uh, check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. Also, a tab puller, vent puncher, and all if it's on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K. For ten percent discount on all products, enter the code Just the Cobra Ten, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. So uh, again, Ooh. always, always want to, always want to encourage uh, the viewers to to to, to, uh, to drop their comments and feedback. Dominique Brown says it's tough. To, for me to even watch basketball right now, the, the 76ers and Clippers were so disappointing this year. They were. It is true, Dominique, but stay patient. Just stay patient. The, 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 there is there's going to be some pr- improvement in the Sixers' future. There's parity um, again. There's parity again. In the yeah, league. And I kind of, I kind, I kind of like it. I, I mean, I, James I, Harden and Damian Lillard playing LeBron James. How many times in the past ten years? Have you been able to look at the LeBron matchup in the playoffs and say, I think the opponent's going to win? Other than Golden State, you really haven't. So the fact that you're able to do that this year is an indictment to how much talent there is around the league. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, another thing that I thought was like interesting was the Lakers' first adjustment was to put AD at center so that Jokic has to consistently defend him. And then the Lakers go like a, with like a three-guard lineup. With In game one, it was KCP, Rondo, and Caruso. I kind of wonder why it's not like automatically the first adjustment is like, boom, AD to center. And I, I guess it's because he doesn't like center that much, but I mean, it, it, it doesn't, it wouldn't scare me if I'm the Lakers 
where in, when AD catches the ball with his back to the basket, not AD, sorry, Jokic carries uh, catches the ball with his back to the basket within like ten feet, because I I think you can out muscle him with like, um, J- Javale McGee, Dwight Howard, AD, AD. I think I I think. I think you can. I think that that's workable, and I think they've made him. I think Jokic has been uncomfortable with 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 Javale McGee on him these last these first couple games. I think it should terrify the Nuggets when someone like Anthony Davis catches it on the perimeter, squares up, and has a, a bunch of room to work with, with 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 Jokic as his primary defender, because I I think that's that's just way too much foot speed, way too much dynamism. Um, as a, as like a as a creator, Anthony Davis. So I mean, if, if it were me, if I'm the Lakers, I'm putting I'm putting AD at center as much as he'll take, which as much as he'll tolerate, and and you know, kind of going smallish, if you will. But I think it's a big problem for the Nuggets that there is no clear matchup where where Jokic is like very comfortable in the series. I think he's able to. I, I think. Dwight Howard can frustrate him. In fact, Dwight Howard's role last night was very evidently just to frustrate yep. uh, Jokic and draw fouls, which he did. And then last night, like Jokic was kind of awkward in the opening moments of in the opening minutes of the game, just because of like he he, he had Javale on him, and um, you know it was it it was, it was Javale, and then you you know like he's trying to square up and turn around, and it just sort of like this awkward fit. He doesn't look comfortable, um, and so. You know, there it goes. And so I thought it was kind of like a, a very alarming that Jokic was out of sorts and kind of unsure of where to go. I feel also, like, also, Roman Quinn just got uh, ejected. <laughs> Roman Quinn just got ejected. Nice. So should not impact from his job. Um, but I actually – I've seen a lot of dialogue on Twitter today, and and I don't know if it's made its way to national TV yet. Uh, but people are discussing the best center in basketball, and is it Anthony Davis? Is it Nikola Jokic? And I think it's funny. It's not that, a center. I think it's funny. Well, that that too. But you, you said the Lakers going small, and this is a funny tweet I saw too. People talk about the Lakers going small by putting AD of five or. Braun at the four, Braun at the three. And they're not going small. That's just their normal positions. These guys are just so good at handling and getting out transition and doing everything else that they don't want to be relegated to a position. Uh, so, so basketball is positionless now, and that's completely fine. The problem with this argument is that I think defense aside, both of them are completely different centers. And Austin, you hinted on it a little bit. Uh, Anthony Davis is the type of center where if he catches the ball anywhere – outside of the perimeter or within it, and he has his dribble, you're frightened. But I think Nikola Jokic is just as good, if not better, offensively than Anthony Davis. And I agree that that players like Dwight Howard or, or JaVale have made Nikola Jokic uncomfortable because they're hacking the hell out of him or they're stuffing him or, or they're draped on top of him. But I really haven't seen much of a better playoff run, specifically from a center, uh, or even a point guard if we're playing positionless, then out of Nikola Jokic. And I saw somebody tweeted, I don't have the graph on me, but it was first 28 playoff appearances. And Nikola Jokic was on a list of 15-plus players, I, I believe, that were all really good players, Kyrie, LeBron, KD. And Jokic was like third in points, uh, first in rebounds per game. He had the second highest uh, field goal percentage. So 
I mean, Nikola Jokic is a player who, who for some reason is underrated, but offensively he might be a top three player in the league just in, in terms of what he can give to Denver or any team for that matter. I mean, if you watch Denver, their offense runs through Nikola Jokic, and it's, it's at the top of the key. Their offense runs through him, whether he's passing it, whether he's dribbling, whether he's backing a guy down. In last night's game, Jokic took AD from about 16 feet and backed him down all the way into the low block and made a bucket. And then on the next possession, Nikola Jokic can come down and, and jack a three and hit it. So uh, there's a lot he does offensively uh, that's comparable to Anthony Davis, but I think they're, they're so different and their game style is so different that you can't really call one a better setting than the other. I, I think they're equally impactful. So let me ask you this. Who are your top three centers in the NBA? And why are all three of them Joel Embiid? <laughs> well, Joel Embiid's getting disrespected lately too. People, yeah. people are forgetting who Joel Embiid is, which might be a good thing. Um, but I think that Joel Embiid is a better center than Nikola Jokic. Wow. But in terms of impact, in terms of who impacts the game more or who I'd rather go with, I'm sorry, man. I got to say Nikola Jokic. I'm sorry. So so I'm going to say Jokic. Um, are we considering Anthony Davis a center? No. I guess if, if, if we're considering no. Jokic a center, we might You have, have to actually not like cower in fear every time you hit the play center in order to be considered a center. All right. So then I guess we'll have to go and bead two. And then the third best center in the NBA. That's tough, honestly. I want to say something that's going to get people laughing at me, but um, I can't say Andre Drummond. I can't say Andre <laughs> I can't do that. I think – I think so I think my number three is going to be Bam Adebayo. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Towns would be there too, but I don't – I think he's just like Man, everyone – It's not Carl Anthony Towns. It's disrespectful I just said Andre Drummond. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's your best player in basketball. I think Carl Anthony Towns would be higher on my list if number one, his team was like any kind of decent. Number two, like I, I just don't think he does enough on the defensive side of the ball. Um, neither does Jokic, but I think Jokic is a, an all-around better player than Towns. Um, I I could argue either way for either. Jokic or Embiid. I don't know who I would go with. I guess if I'm looking for an 82 game season, I'm probably going Jokic. Mm-hmm. If I'm going for like game seven series on the line, you need a player who, you know, and, and, and they're both healthy and they're both good to go. I'm taking Embiid in that scenario. Um, so, I mean, now it's like, I don't know that either of those comments are, are insults to either or necessarily compliments, but I mean, if I, I'm counting on the reliability of Nikola Jokic over the accountability or the, of the, of the reliability of Joel Embiid, but I think Embiid can be the more dominant player when, 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 the, when it's a high stakes environment. Um, and neither of them are in shape. So it doesn't really matter anyway. <laughs> um, so that's kind of, that's, that's kind of where I am um, with that whole conversation. But I think Bam is my third. Um, let's see here. Bryant Baker, who we work with, is our CEO, if you will. Game seven series on the line. You're not seeking Jokic, who has won two game sevens just this year already. He's the first player with a triple double in a game seven through the first three quarters of game in the play by play era. 
I'm pretty sure he has. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so that, um, that like, I don't know. He he has a tri- he has a he has a triple double in game sevens twice, and it's it's a, a short list of players that have accomplished something like that. So let me, a- let, let me ask you this: Is Jokic passing more because that's more his game, or because? His point guard is more of like a shooting guard. Nah, a sh- that's, a shooting point. that's Jokic's game. That's that's the. Big I think he's. I think he's an. I think he's a very natural passer. But I mean, I, I, I think I. I can't just like say on paper like Jokic has won two game sevens. Okay, so has um. So has Duncan. So it. So, well, so, so has. That, but. Like, Duncan like, Robinson doesn't win two game sevens because of Duncan Robinson. Denver, how did you know I was going to say Duncan Robinson? I realized there was no game seven. What other Duncan are you talking about? Did I say Duncan? Did I yeah. say that? Yeah. I oh, thought shit. you might have said it by accident. Oh, know. my bad. Well, like it, it, it wasn't like it was Plumlee who won the game sevens for the Nuggets. It was like, 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 like you, you can't, you, you can't just say that he's won two game sevens. I mean, what he did against Clippers was was tremendous. But I think if I need one player to dominate the game, I think I'm going with Jokic or with, 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 with Embiid. Right answer. Oh, Embiid. Okay. Just making sure. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, Embiid. Um, Antonio Zuber asks, Nikola Vucevic top five center. I think he's absolutely a top five center deal. Does that position exist anymore? Are there even five centers in the NBA anymore? I are. mean, no, I would definitely categorize Vucevic as a center. So, like, for me – I was Ken Hita. The series he had against Milwaukee was one of the best series. If he's, if he's on like – imagine him in, like, in like Portland. That would be a perfect fit for yeah. him. That would be a great fit. Double-double every night, actual ball handlers and the talent around him. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I mean, they, they would be a much better team for that. Yeah. Um, he's got to be in my top five, I think. I think because Andre Drummond has very stop little with, offense. With the Andre he's, he's not considered for top five. But listen, Andre he's, Drummond is nasty defensively. He's not horrible, but he's horrible. He's nasty defensively. I'm pretty sure him, in the past three or four years, him and Simmons, I remember writing this from my article, uh, him and Simmons are the only two to amass like a very similar amount of steals and deflections. And when I discovered this, I was like, what the hell? Andre Drummond. I didn't know he's getting his hands on, on basketballs like that. But yeah, he's good. De- he, he's he's really good defensively. He just can't do anything on offense except grab balls of the glass. So yeah. for that reason alone, you got to put Vucho. Which over. is a significant issue in today's NBA. If you if the only thing you can do is grab balls off the glass and go. Yeah. Um so, so <laughs> did you see that guy put like Andre Drummond as a defensive player of the year or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That troll job. Like I saw that. If you, they should have a leash of like one error. If you make one mistake, not not mistake, but if it's clearly that you're like out of your league in terms of the vote, you're gone. Like that guy, that guy should never be able to vote again. Yeah, LeBron wasn't happy with the voting. He he publicly voiced. Well, yeah, he shouldn't be. It's bullshit. He should be. A, he he should easily have had more than more votes than he had. Giannis shouldn't have won MVP. That's a different conversation. I, I don't think that the MVP or any award for that matter should be a regular, regular season. Award. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's horseshit. horseshit. I, I, I can see why maybe rookie of the year or most improved player could be a regular season award, but 
the most valuable player should not be given out to a player after 82 games, and yet they haven't even played the most important games of the season yet. It shouldn't be 82 games when you play teams like the Charlotte Hornets, the New York Knicks, and the Detroit Pistons 12 times or nine times. Exactly. Like, that's like, 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 like everyone's going to be the MVP. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it should be determined after this season by how far your team gets into the playoffs. And that isn't to say that if you don't get past a certain round, you can't be considered, but your performance against those teams needs to be considered. And the fact that the Bucks were literally a better team without Giannis on the court in that second round series is telling. So answer me this, right? Okay. Let's say the MVP. Where are we going here? <laughs> the MVP is not a regular season award. It's 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 a play, award given after the championship this year. I don't think that. I think it's the award that needs to to not just hold the regular season. Okay, so both things considered. Both things considered. All right, so let's let's do that. You, you tweaked okay. it a little bit, but let's do that. In 2020, we already said Denver and Miami was going to be in the championship. One one of our viewers said that, right? Okay. 2020. Who oh, wins no. the MVP award if it's adjusted for regular season and playoffs combined? Oh, no. And it's a Denver and Miami Heat finals. Is is that uh, – I guess it, it, you have to determine who wins the finals first, but – No, you don't. I don't think you do. So who do you think gets it? It's got to be Joker, right? Uh, Jokic, I mean the Joker? No, I wouldn't give it to Jokic. I – would say because keep in mind, I mean, they don't win that first round series without Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. So we're not even having the conversation. If if we might not even be having the conversation if Jamal Murray isn't there for the first round series. Um, I think Jimmy Butler would be in the conversation, but I don't think I'd give it to him. And here's why. Here's why. Adebayo has been just as important. Oh, he has. He absolutely has. Jimmy Butler's only like like like, like a plus for four or five for the series so far against Celtics, and I think Goran Dragic has been more important to the Heat than Butler has. He has literally carried them through the first two or three rounds of the series. Like 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 he he's he. I'm not sure he's been the best player on his series through the first two and a half rounds of the playoffs. So why would I give it to him? I don't know if I can do that. Um, I think Jason Tatum would be up there. I think Marcus Smart would be up there. Mm. But okay. that would be that would also be stupid because okay. he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't an all star. So that that would be stupid. Um, I think I'm probably going. <sighs> Jason Tatum's in my top three. Um. <sighs> LeBron. Okay. And if I'm going to be unbiased, I probably, I guess you take into account what he's, what he did the regular season, the team out, out, outperforming expectations and their playoff success, even though I don't think he's the sole reason they are where they are. Mm-hmm. I guess you have to go Butler. So I think those would probably be the top three for me. Tatum. Tatum, Braun, and, and Butler. That's a shame that you didn't say Nikola Jokic and you took Jimmy Butler over Nikola Jokic for most valuable player. No, but see, the thing with Bam, the reason why I like your Bam pick is because – right, You know what? Fine. Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. 
I will go Bam Adebayo. I'll, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go Nikola Jokic because I'm not giving anybody that. I am yeah. not living in a world where that happens. I was going to say it's it's Tatum, it's LeBron, and it's Jokic. You did the right thing. We'll, we'll go with that. Right we'll go with that. Um, I mean, Bam. We could talk a little bit about this Miami and Boston series, but Bam has has been integral. I mean, this dude is defending everybody. The Jason Tatum block was one of the best blocks I've ever witnessed in my entire life. And why did that block have to happen, Brock? What happened in that play? I believe a Jimothy Butler got beat off the dribble by Jason Tatum. And Tatum was going to yam on him on the way to the basket, but Bam stepped out to block the shot. It makes you wonder, does he do that? Does he get around a 6'10 guy? That, that's one of the fastest players in the NBA that led the league in steals and deflections. Does Tatum get past him there and then dunk on a seven-foot Joel Embiid at the rim? Or does something else happen? You never know. They probably uh, would have called Embiid for the foul. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. yeah. But um, Bam has looked awesome. One of the most – I guess I don't know. I, I don't even want to call him underrated because I don't know what the public perception of him is. But uh, one of the most talented players in the league right now, and he's been a huge reason as to why Miami is is not only just still afloat, but competing for a championship. And I, I think the thing that I most enjoyed about this playoffs alone uh, was the chess matches that went on between coaches. And uh, Nick Nurse did a good job, but Eric Spolstra prevailed. Brad Stevens is 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 neck to make adjustments to see what has to happen. But uh, through the first two games, Kemba Walker missed 14 shots against Miami zone defense. Uh, Jalen Brown missed 11. Marcus Smart missed 12. Jason Tatum missed five. And uh, versus a man, the team shot over five, 55% Boston, that is. And then versus zone, uh, much less, a little under 40%. And the points per possession went down as well. So uh, Boston really struggled against this Miami zone. Uh, Miami puts their bigger defenders up front in the zone usually. And uh, through the first two games, Boston was just trying to dribble, penetrate, and take guys one-on-one because that's their offense, even though it would end up being a one-on-four or one-on-five because of Miami's zone on the string. They all play in the same unit. Uh, But, yeah, Bam Bam definitely deserves a lot of recognition. And I was thinking only Denver and Miami. Like if it's only in Denver, Miami – you only choose MVP based on who wins. So I was thinking like Jokic, Bam, Jamal Murray. But if we're going all of the bubble, I, I really like the Jason Tatum pick. I really like the LeBron pick. And I think you, you did right choosing Nikola Jokic over Bam at a bio there. And I think you have to also go with Anthony Davis too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like I actually think I'd bump Jokic out and I'd put LeBron – um, AD and Tatum, which would be weird because none of those three would be in the finals, but yeah. I, I think those have been the best performers in, in, in the playoffs as far. Uh, my roommate has like this athlete crush on Jimmy Butler and he assume, and he thinks that for whatever reason that like, he just knows more about basketball than I do. So he'll fight me tooth and nail all day long about Jimmy Butler. And it's like all he wants to talk about. And I'm just like, I was like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just don't get the end game. Like, it's just like it's it's whatever to me at this point. Um, but so, like, one thing that I kind of came to realize is that Michael Porter Jr. is is kind of unplayable in in the series. And I think in 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 some respects, 
he completes that three at trio where over the next two, three seasons, I think Denver really has a, has a legit shot at winning something significant and like getting to the finals. And I think it hit adding him and him and his development can push them over the top because of how athletic, how gifted he is, but he just gives no resistance on defense. And I, I kind of feel like there are other options. Like you could go small with something like um, Paul Millsap. You could even give Tory Craig more minutes. But he just he he it's there. He's not. They can get around him whenever they want. He's not providing any resistance. And I think you have to sacrifice some of that offensive output potential for the consistency on defense, unless you just let him feast in five to ten minutes per game on like Caruso and KCP and and whoever else. Yeah. I actually think MPJ has an incredibly high ceiling and oh, yeah. the series, like they, there's just so much size with the Lakers and at that position, it's like, he's not going to be defending LeBron. He's not going to be defending AD. He sure as hell, despite his size, won't be defending Dwight or JaVale. Uh, so he, he's been kind of stuck in this purgatory. That is the Denver Nuggets rotation uh, for the entire duration of this bubble. But I, I just think Denver needs to figure out what they're going to do with Paul Millsad. That's kind of hindered them in this series and in the series before. Is he coming off the bench? Is he starting? Is he playing 38 minutes a game? Who's playing that backup role for him? Who's he defending? Uh, there's a lot of question marks with, with Paul Millsap, especially with his age and his contract. So I think this is this is the la- this either this or next year is the last year he's under control in Denver. Yeah, and, and then I think Porter can can step up nicely. But against a guy like LeBron or against an AD, you're going to get baby Boyd. So it's it's been more of the dynamic <laughs> between him and Kuzma than it is uh, LeBron and AD. I'm not I'm not looking much for that defensively. Would you try Millsap on LeBron? I mean, Denver has Den- Denver's tried everything, but LeBron has has pretty much had success against everybody except Grant in this series. I think uh, two of seven against Grant. Uh, Grant only fouled him one time, and he had more turnovers than assists. So uh, for Denver, it's just throwing bodies at, at Bronner AD and, and just kind of hoping something sticks. Yeah, and I even wrote this in my column this week for Vince Quinn's website, The Spark. Um, the thing that makes LeBron so unbelievable, and I and nothing surprises me about nothing about LeBron surprises me anymore. I mean, I think it's offensive to even say anything does surprise you because. I'll be doubting his greatness since in some respect. And I don't think I can do that at this point. He just, mm-hmm. he does everything. Um, what makes him unbelievable at this age is like, even if you match him up with beefy guys, those beefy guys are naturally going to be more slow, slow footed. Mm-hmm. And he just beats everybody. I mean, he's too fast. And then if you put him with somebody who's, who's faster, they're probably going to be a little more lanky and wiry. He's too strong. So it's like, what do you do? There's nothing you can do. Uh, and I, I mean, I think Millsap would be an interesting matchup, but I think he can just speed past Millsap. This episode would be a fantastic episode to to make rounds on NBA Twitter. We'd get exposed so badly. So let me just reiterate. Andre Drummond is not a top five center. <laughs> My dad just reminded me that Rudy Gobert exists. So regardless of how people feel about Rudy Gobert, I don't care how good Andre Drummond is defensively. I called it two-time back-to-back defensive player of the year. Um, 
not a top five center, which is just an unfortunate thing to say. Uh, we've been we've been hating on Nikola Jokic on your end for a little bit now. Uh, so this episode, people would eat this one up. What made you think of that? <laughs> like, my that? dad texted me 11 minutes ago, and, and I don't have any downtime. I don't like checking my phone. Uh, so I, I checked it real quick, and he said Rudy Gobert. And I'm like, that's who it was. That's the center I was forgetting. <laughs> that's who I said Andre. I, I, I think Rudy Gobert is so overrated. He might I really be, do. He, I really he do. Be, but you got to give it to him by default. If you're going to call Andre Drummond's defense good, you got to put the back-to-back depoy in there. A sure. former back-to-back, I should sure. say. Um, one thing I, th- I saw yesterday that I really liked out of the Lakers was they're sending like late hard doubles on Jokic when he's in the post and he's like turning to make a play, and they're basically betting on him to be so to be too slow at it to, to to make to make the the clean pass and and it's kind of worked. Like he kind of looks like one of those people. Like you know how it, on the beach. If someone's like like walking in the water and a wave comes up from behind them and just hits them and knocks them over, yeah. it's kind of how I feel when I watch Nikola Jokic turning wow. into these doubles because they're just swarming him and the ball gets devoured right back into him and then his transition. Like he's had it. There's been times when he's been blocked on shots. He that he's turned the ball over on on, on the traps and the doubles, and it's a risky gamble because like here's this guy who's arguably the greatest passer as a big man in NBA history, mm-hmm. and you're they're they're turning and they're like okay we're gonna make you pass as quickly as possible and not hit the open guy which i mean is like ridiculous it's like it's like it's like his dream scenario he's like bet yoga is like begging them please double me so i can find an open shooter or open cutter but they're just the the late double it gives him it it, it isn't having time to think and process what's going on in front of them and it just swarming him it's eating them alive and it's worked so far for for the for the lakers Yes, yeah, so far in this series, um, Jokic shooting 50% from the field, 51 points, uh, one for four from three, 16 of 19 from the line, 11 assists, only six turnovers, a couple of steals, a couple of blocks. Um, the thing about Jokic is like he's he's just so offensively gifted that he's always going to be impacting the game. Um, but w- what is really hindering Denver's offense right now, which we talked about, is this DHO situation. Uh, that's how they generated a lot of offense in the regular season. It's how they um, got past Utah. It's how they're getting past the Clippers and now attempting to get past L.A. But the problem is the Lakers have a lot of length defensively. And because of that and the, and the way Vogel has them playing, Denver's just really struggling to create that space and create those looks off the DHO. Uh, so that slows everything down. It slows down the shooters on the floor. It slows down Nikola Jokic. It slows down Jamal Murray's impact. Uh, so, so this series is it's a lot of adjustments being made, but, but right now the Lakers have the upper hand. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. And I think um, well, the Joe Show, Philly Sports Talk says, what's up, guys? What's going on, Joe Show? How are you? Um, one thing that I – I mean, I, I obviously the, the Lakers are, like, very, very close to putting this thing away going up 3-0. Um, but I just think this series could be so much different if the Nuggets def- were getting back in transition and we're like actually defending in the open court. And I think even if they are slow, they're making the wrong decision. They're, they're, they're basically 
giving the the Lakers the lane kind of and worrying about the shooters. Like I wouldn't worry about the shooters. I would leave you're you're not gonna have Morris go six of eight from downtown or Casey if you go six of eight from downtown. I'm willing in, in playoffs you gotta bank on something. You gotta bet on, on some weakness because you get to a point where no one is no one has a glaring weakness, but you make the best of what of, of what you of what you have there. Um and I think for this Lakers team, in order to better defend and transition, you're gonna have to bet on the Lakers missing shots from the outside. And whatever you do, you're gonna have to just not give LeBron the lanes to the basket and AD the lanes to the basket. Another thing that I think is killing them is like said than done. Anthony Davis is so what? Easier said than done. Yeah, no, it is, it is, it is, it is. Um, but when they get out and it's like a turnover, it's a long rebound for LeBron. Davis is already down the floor and he's cherry picking essentially. He's so damn big that all LeBron has to do is just throw it up there and he gets it, turns and just finishes. Mm-hmm. So you really have to do a good job without fouling, if you will, to kind of hinder Davis's progression down the court when those transact those transition looks come. Like like almost have to play cornerback a little bit. You gotta play corner, gotta make it hard for him to catch the ball. Um, if you foul him, then you foul him, I feel like. And you know, either you know everyone fouls out of the game, which the refs aren't gonna let happen because the league does not like having a million free throws a game. Um or you know you 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 let him get open looks. I'm inclined to say I'd rather him make free throws every time down, and at least give my defense and offense a chance to breathe while he's at the free throw line, and stay at, like you know and keep and maintain their stamina than have him get easy finishes at the rim. I mean, as good as LeBron is and as good he's been in, in this bubble, Anthony Davis has been the more effective player in this series specifically. Yeah. And LeBron chooses to take a little bit off because he knows this. LeBron's not going to do that if Anthony Davis can't also carry this weight. But what you've seen in this series is a lot of LeBron settling or LeBron attacking early and then fading towards the back end of games. And this is just LeBron letting Anthony Davis go to work. And I I saw something in last game that I think over 40% of the Lakers attempts in the fourth quarter came with four seconds or less on the shot clock. And the league average is around 9%. So the fact that there's this huge spike in that percentage either means that Denver is doing a good job defensively, making the Lakers stall until they can get a look, or the Lakers are just scheming to do this. They're taking time off the clock. They're slowly operating on offense. They're slowing the game down. And the reason why they're able to do that is because they have this LeBron AD dynamic where these guys can get in transition and run past and beat anybody in the league, but also they could slow down in the half court and run the offense through one another. So uh, the Lakers have a lot to work with, but the Nuggets on the other end have some adjustments to make. I'm not sure if it's a sweep, though. The the series isn't over. I think think Denver might take one, too, but – uh, ultimately, the Lakers advance. Nuggets have them or they want them. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, this is one of the most historic playoff runs of all time for Denver. So regardless of what happens with the Nuggets, uh, they should keep their heads high. For sure. Brock, do you have an Eagles take for me? Oh, God, you don't want to know my Eagles takes. You don't want to know my Eagles takes. I'm not, I'm not a one. tip rider. Give the crowd run. Get, get, get the crowd one. 
there's just so much. There, there's so much. This has been an expiring core for the past three seasons, and yet everybody has refused to see this. Everybody has been enamored with this allure of Carson Wentz and this Doug Peterson offense, which really isn't anything special. I mean, the Eagles always get punched in the mouth first. They never make that first punch. And when they do, they blow leads, namely against the Washington football team. This has happened for three seasons, though. The Eagles won't strike blood first. They, they have to play from behind, and that's problematic. Carson Wentz, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a fan. I never have been. I, wow. I, I publicly endorsed Carson Wentz. Um, so you were a Nick Foles guy? I wasn't a Nick Foles guy either. I was a neither of them guy. I, really? I, I, I'll express my opinions about Carson Wentz to you on a different episode because that would take up too much damn time. But like I'm saying, you you, you got him at quarterback. Uh, you, you mismanage your assets every single year. The Eagles seem to strike out and whiff on on their draft picks, even though every other team in the NFL seems competent doing so. Uh, so there's a lot of problems to be had. Or there's a lot of what, what there's a lot of problems that are there. Um, but not many solutions seem to be found with this Eagles team. I, I have a take. I think that the worst thing that ever happened with Carson Wentz was that knee injury. Cause I don't think he'll ever be able to play in the city. I, I just don't think it's ever going to be easy for him to make decisions and play. Cause I think he's always going to have in the back of his mind, like number one, the personnel sucks Two. He's always going to be compared to Foles, and I, I think yeah. it's going to be. I, I think it's going to be. I think it's really impaired his decision making processes. Um, the last two seasons, and really the last three seasons, to be honest. But um, I think they should have. Actually, I think they should have departed from both. Wow. Okay. That's after another. The, that's another after, good take. Yeah. After the Super Bowl run, I think they should have departed from both because because and I know that's ridiculous. But also the good GMs have to do ridiculous things. You do. As a, good GMs do ridiculous things sometimes. You have yeah, to. Like trade you have to, DeAndre Hopkins or trade for Jalen Ramsey. Or you have to. You ha- you ha- you could have traded Zach Ertz or Jalen Ramsey. I'm just saying. And, and the GM did none of those crazy things. You, you have to zig when other teams – you have to zig when everyone else zags. And I just think um, – I, I just think that, like, number one, Foles wasn't going to be the answer long-term because he, he can't move um, out of the pocket and he's inconsistent. Wentz is I kind of think he's a head case. And I think I think hey, <laughs> you know what pisses me off? Bro? Uh, you know here we go. <laughs> I've had to argue with Eagles fans for the past three years. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, right? But my thing is like I've played football, I've watched football my whole life. So I just enjoy the game of football, similar to how I feel about basketball. I don't have this Philadelphia Eagles bias. I just watch all – I watch everybody around the league. I like players around the league. So I've had to argue with diehard Eagles fans for the past three seasons about the stupidest things, and I've seen it all crumble in two weeks. Literally, it took two weeks of Eagles football for everybody that's annoyed me for the past three years to finally say everything that I've been saying. Oh, I think Carson Wentz tries to play hero ball too much. He doesn't get rid of the ball too much. Maybe this core is not right. Maybe we need a running back. Maybe management needs to draft the right positions. I've been saying these things for three years, and I'm not saying anything crazy. This is just stuff where if you watch football, you can understand what's happening. But I've had to argue tirelessly. And now finally, after two weeks, 
People are starting to realize what I've been saying for three years. Listen, the only Philadelphia fans that I like are Phillies fans, I think. <laughs> they, oh, there's so many of them right now. They're calm. They're level-headed to an extent. They're kind of smart. I I, I just I, – I can't deal with Eagles fans ever. They're putrid. Very, very I mean, insufferable. They're, they're, Sixers fans are horrible too because yeah. they, it's it's I, I I I I think Wentz is a big problem. I think he's a big big problem. Um, Brock, any 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 closing words to end this happy podcast? I'm gonna probably have a uh, Bam at a bio video out this weekend. There we go. How Bam send, got here and, and send that to Heat Twitter. It'll blow the fuck up. You know yeah. it. Yeah, I'll, I'll get in their good graces. So yeah. Uh, keep an eye you're you're going to have diplomatic immunity in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, I, I don't think Jason has anything close to <laughs> um, He's Brock Landis. You can find him on Twitter at Landis Brock. Austin Krell. You can find me on Twitter at Krell TPL. As always, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Pods. Uh, leave a five-star rating and a review. Subscribe on YouTube at The Painted Lines. Um, we're always happy to, 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 to engage with you and, and, and to hear your feedback and to, uh, and, and to do the show for you. As always, take care, everybody. Have a good night. And we will see you next week for another episode of The Feed to Embiid. The Feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright The Feed to Embiid 2020.